Welcome back to Second Helping, the top podcast of choice for fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network. Joined, as always, by my great friend, Brent Beard. Brent, of course, a longtime college football analyst, most recently with First Coast News in Jacksonville, Florida, and also a longtime voter in the race for the top individual award in college athletics, the Heisman Trophy. Brent, a busy Thursday night in our wake as the opening round of the 2022 NFL Draft unfolds over in Las Vegas, Nevada. We'll get into some of that, Brent, and we'll also talk about some major changes among NCAA officials with the top spot being in our sights on this edition of Second Helping, and then we still got to put some spring football to bed, right. don't we? Yeah, absolutely, Travis. Always amazing. Uh, I remember you and I, this time of year, virtually just relaxing and going to the beach and not having anything to talk about. Well, those days are over now with the transfer portal, uh, what the NCAA is doing. Uh, spring game is just ending. Uh, still a little bit away from the uh, magazines and the and the draft on top of it. So a, a much busier week this time of year than it normally is. Yeah, it absolutely is. We've got the May 1 deadline coming up with the transfer portal, but you're still going to have activity in terms of rosters and management of rosters. Teams trying to make room, teams trying to still add, uh, really going to take us up into fall camp and beyond. We really don't have a down period in college athletics in general these days. That's before you take college hoops and the other sports into account. But we did have the opening round of the NFL draft last night, Brent, and the SEC, as expected, a dominant force once again in those first 32 selections with an emphasis this time around on the Georgia Bulldogs and the defensive side of the football for Kirby Smart's program. Uh, Were you surprised like I was that this draft was so much on the defensive side of the football? I don't know overall, uh, and I'm not saying that we're – uh, we're all going to be running the wishbone anytime soon, but uh, and having a major changes. But I, I just thought that was fascinating. Uh, and again, the lead dog in the pack is the SEC, ten plus first round draft picks for the third straight year. So, Trav, the best players, best coaches, best facilities. Most money, uh, it, it all, it all kinds of hit. It really all hits as usual in the draft, doesn't it? It really was about the SEC once again, and you're right. The defensive side of the ball getting the spotlight on Thursday night. The top five picks in the 2022 NFL Draft go to the defensive side of the ball couple of SEC guys in that top five, starting with Trayvon Walker in the number one overall position going to the Jacksonville Jaguars, a pick that drew a bit of consternation yes. from yeah. that Jags fan base. I think uh, potential certainly there with Trayvon Walker, but typically when you take a guy number one, you're not talking about, well, two or three years down the road. This is a guy to keep an eye on, especially for a team – that just took Trevor Lawrence at quarterback and still needs to add some options 
to help him in addition to what it did do during free agency, which we should note. But Derek Stingley Jr., a guy who really hadn't played much football the last two seasons. Absolutely. Apparently, that pro day workout was one for the ages and helped him overcome some of that. Derek Stingley Jr., the cornerback from LSU, goes number three overall to the Houston Texans. And then you didn't really get into offensive players until the second half of the top 10 there. And Alabama's Evan Neal, the second offensive player to be selected on Thursday night behind NC State offensive tackle Icky Ekwandu. Neal goes number seven overall to the New York Giants. Uh, how about Charles Cross? Another offensive yes. tackle. Started yes. to run there on offensive tackles at six. And then Cross goes nine overall to the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, then you get into Jamison Williams at 12 to the Detroit Lions. Jordan Davis at 13 to the Eagles. Uh, Kenyon Green, the outstanding interior offensive lineman from A&M to the Texans. Uh, big news on Thursday night when one SEC West wide receiver was traded to mm-hmm. Philadelphia in A.J. Brown going from the Titans to the Eagles. And then the Titans backfield with Traylon Burks there after making that trade with the Eagles at number 18 overall. So, Newsy, newsy opening round, and it started with defense and really ended with defense as the Minnesota Vikings closed out the night with a Georgia defender, the fifth Mm. in the first round, a new draft record for defensive players in the first round from the same program. Lewis Sign goes to the Vikings to round out the evening, Brent. Uh, Just some comments on a few of those guys. The unusual situation with with Trayvon Walker, the first player selected number one overall that never made an all conference and all American yeah. team. Uh, I, I, now look, that doesn't mean he can't play. It's obvious that he can and, and that he will be better. But but that was just kind of an odd note uh, at that point too. And uh, Trav, listen, if Derek Stingley plays this year. Uh, now, this is pure speculation. If he had shown us what he's capable of doing throughout the entire season, I really wonder if it would have been, I mean, gosh, he was three at that point. Uh, could he have been the number one pick, Travis, if he'd have played the whole year and been the player we thought he was? As a Jaguar fan, my feeling based on the edge guys that were available to the Jags at that number one spot with Walker, with Hutchinson, with Thibodeau, primarily when you talk about edge pass rushers, yes. without feeling that any of those three are slam dunks, mm-hmm. I almost would have rathered the Jags go Derek Stingley at one anyway, yes. because they need help at corner. They do. Yeah, uh, And that's, again, understanding Stingley has been pretty much a non-factor since his true freshman season back in 2019. But it's just one of those drafts, a tough spot for the Jags being in the number one spot this time around because there really aren't any slam dunks. Again, I felt like with that scenario in play, go help your quarterback, go help your franchise guy and Trevor. That's what I thought, so, too. Absolutely. Take a Kwandu, 
uh, of NC State, take Evan Neal of Alabama, and even if they're not not your starting left tackle from day one, the Jags need help at right tackle. Um, they could use some help even on the interior. So I think that would have been as safe a pick as the Jags could have made at one. They went out on a bit of a limb. Really, the Jags took a guy in that spot like they're already a playoff team. You know what yeah. I mean? Like right. they took a guy that's two yeah. or three years. Oh, well, we're, we're a playoff team. We're fine. We can, you know, go after a guy that still might be down the road a little bit. They're not in that spot. No. They need help no. right now. And I know they need help at a lot of spots, including the edge. I get that. They need a guy to go opposite um, Josh Allen, who they picked up the fifth year option for the former Kentucky standout at outside linebacker. But Interesting night, no doubt about it, and one, once again, that underscores the immense talent of the SEC. Were you surprised that maybe a N'Kobe Dean? Yes. Know, Georgia could have easily had six. Oh, yeah, absolutely. N'Kobe Dean goes in the first round. Now, Quay Walker did go in the first round, outstanding linebacker for Georgia to the Packers, along with Devontae Wyatt, his teammate. So you'll have a couple of dogs. They'll just uh, they'll still have that angry G on the side of their helmets. <laughs> Brent, they'll just be uh, green and gold instead of red and black. Well, I, and look, the Packers really liked Georgia Bulldogs, did they not? I thought, I, I, listen, I thought N'Kobe Dean should have been drafted um, uh, certainly in the first round. And frankly, uh, even before some of his teammates, uh, he traveled. Dean got caught up, I think, in the analytics and got caught up in the, uh, well, he's under six foot tall type thing. Uh, And look, Dean's one of the most intelligent players in the entire SEC uh, and just absolutely wrecks havoc uh, during that time, too. Uh, But uh, look, uh, there's there are some things that really caught my eye that. I thought that, uh, to me, were almost no explanation for, I mean, uh, and I understand him being hurt, but uh, the situation with with uh, Jamison Williams being drafted where he was uh, at, uh, <laughs> at 12, and then to me, maybe the steal of the first round was Traylon Burks. I, I, I thought, I, I thought, listen, uh, those were the two best wide receivers in the draft, in my opinion. And, uh, look, I'm with you. I, I thought Jacksonville without dominating Jacksonville talk here should have gotten Evan Neal or Charles cross. Uh, and, and look, uh, Trav, has there been a quieter, uh, Number nine, top ten pick, then cross. Uh, you know, Mike Leach said the whole year long, this guy's a top ten pick. Well, Leach is not just the mad scientist; he was right. I, I mean, Evan Neal deservedly got a lot of attention, but but Trav, I'm not sure Charles Cross didn't get didn't deserve more than what he did. I mean, I, I mean, some of these. We're at the point now to where some of these offensive tackles, Trev, they they can run with safeties and almost run with wide receivers now. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, and Cross was a known guy, even headed to Mississippi State. He was five-star variety yeah. coming out of the high school ranks, like an Evan Neal, who, of course, made his way from IMG to Alabama. So, 
Yeah, heavy influence of SEC guys in the opening round, anticipating more of that on Friday night as we get closer to the middle rounds, into the second round and beyond on Friday night. And that's when you expect to hear from the likes of N'Kobe Dean. You expect to hear perhaps from Matt Corral. Just one quarterback in the first round uh, on Thursday night. And so Matt Corral still out there. John Mechie, Christian Harris, Roger McCreary from Auburn. Still a lot of SEC guys available. Uh, And the amazing thing is, last night was the first time in the common draft era that no running backs or tight ends were selected in the first round. Yeah, Trey McBride, it sounds like, from Colorado State will have his name called pretty quickly on Friday. And you're right, that's really... Round two is where it really starts for running backs, especially these days. It's exceptionally, exceedingly difficult to make your way into the first round as a back in this era of football. So we look forward to the continuation of the 2022 NFL draft. Meanwhile, we put to bed completely at this point, Brent, spring football in the SEC for the 2022 offseason and over the weekend, last weekend, we had spring games at LSU and Ole Miss. And as we have talked about really over the last six to eight weeks, quarterback competition highlighted. It looked like to me, Garrett Nussmeyer did some really nice things in Baton Rouge. Uh, And then perhaps when you look in Oxford, It wasn't the USC transfer, perhaps, that was as promising as it was the old standby, the previous backup, I guess, to Matt Corral and Luke Altmaier. We've talked for quite a while that Altmaier really, uh, and obviously again in the uh, Sugar Bowl against Baylor, he had one hand tied behind his back almost with that Baylor defense and the injuries they had on the Ole Miss offensive line, but... Uh, he really did look good. There's no doubt. And Michael Trigg coming over from USC, the tight end, Jackson Dark and the Dart in there too. Uh, still a pretty good problem from when Lane Kiffin Dart was 11 of 30 for 166. Altmaier was 9 of 22 for 182. Also, and, and your point with the LSU quarterbacks. Brennan 11 of 17 for 99. Nussmeyer 9 of 16 for. 136, Daniels 3 of 9, Howard was 3 of 7. Trav, my question is, do uh, uh, are, all, are all these quarterbacks for LSU, will all these guys be in the quarterback room come September? No, they won't. I, it, I can't imagine that being the case. Uh, I can't either. Um, we've had that discussion relative to Texas A&M yeah. in recent right. weeks, and that was – that's with three guys. That's with Calzada already gone to Auburn from Texas A&M as well. So, no, recent history, history in general at the quarterback position, but certainly in the one-time transfer rule and then with the grad transfer option that's available as well, it, is, it isn't uh, easy to, to envision that scenario. And, you know, we'll see how Ole Miss plays out as well. I know Lane talked about, Altmeyer being more patient, you know, kind of taking what was there and Jackson Dart trying to win the job on every throw, you know, yeah. trying to do too much sure. with his opportunities. And so those are a couple situations that are going to play out 
into the summer and into fall camp. And when you look at LSU specifically, uh, yeah, that's that's a tough, tough room to envision being intact as they move into the the regular season. So, Brent, with that, I wanted to ask you on this latest edition of Second Helping, as we put a wrap on 2022 spring drills, is there a team in the league that maybe you went into the stretch thinking, eh, not so sure about this team, but then by the end of spring practice, you came out of it thinking, you know what? They might be a game or two, a win or two better than I anticipated them being maybe in early March. Well, I'll give you a quick example, and and, and I'm going to say Arkansas. I think we knew they were going to be good, but what they did in moving Malik Hornsby to uh, wide receiver and having the potential there as athletic as he is, uh, I, Trav, I thought was fascinating. I mean, that gives them another real threat. Now, look, you've got to risk, obviously, you you don't want your backup quarterback hurt either, do you? But uh, when you, and and I think Milroe at Alabama is a little bit like this too, but when you've got a guy that is uh, athletic, uh, as Hornsby is, they they want to get him on the field and, and just see what he can do on that offense instead of him just carrying a clipboard for most of the season. Conversely, I wanted to ask you, is there a team that maybe you're more concerned about coming out of spring drills than you were, say, going into the first workout or two of spring practice? I I think that's going to be Auburn right now. I I think we knew Auburn would be depleted uh, at this point. Now, they've had a a couple of guys that, that have actually come back. Marquise Robinson on the defensive line uh, is coming back, but you've still got a situation. We we really don't have a handle at all on this quarterback situation at Auburn, but and I and I think I think their deep their front seven on defense will be okay, but uh, but just listening to some Auburn beat writers, Trev, that may be more questions there at Auburn than we thought. Yeah, we've talked about how so much is going to be on the shoulders of Tank Bigsby and probably that run game in general. And just the fog right now that seems to exist over that program, right? With the offseason issues involving Brian Harson and what seemed to be an attempted coup there to overthrow him one year into the job. Um, The just the the atmosphere and the uh, the culture you worry about with that situation right now going into year two of the Bryce uh, the Brian Harson era. So coming out of spring practice, we move into the summer months, and as is typically the case, still some transfer portal stuff to talk about. Alabama striking once again here recently and picking up Tyler Harrell, who we had mentioned in some previous podcasts as being a real possibility for the Crimson Tide. I guess that's where we're at in terms of roster management at this point, Brent, trying to figure out here in the final few days before that May 1 deadline who exactly is going to go into the portal and who still might land on some rosters around the SEC before we get to fall camp. Well, the portal right now, Travis, is a uh, situation where they're uh, nationwide – 
there are maybe 20 or 30 guys that are transferring every day uh, uh, until May 1, and that's according to the people who are running the transfer portal right now uh, as far as that information for the NCAA. I, I thought Tyler Harrell was a big pickup from uh, Louisville for Alabama. I know they're still possibly looking for a tight end. I know you're writing about these things. Now, now, now Harrell, I don't think, is polished as Jamison Williams, but he certainly has uh, a lot of potential for what Alabama wants to uh, be able to do. And one thing that we did learn, that, that the converse of this is, uh, I had a chance to sit down with the media with Billy Napier last week, and one of the first questions he was asked was, are you going into the quarterback uh, transfer portal to maybe pick up someone else? And Napier said no. Uh, Carlos Del Rio, uh, Wilson is left, uh, and and he is not going to be replaced. So they're, they're pretty happy right now. Uh, with that quarterback room, Anthony Richardson and Jack Miller, uh, hopefully they won't have any injuries at this point. I know they've got some uh, some youngsters that, that are coming in uh, via the high school route. So uh, it's interesting to see the teams that are still looking. And in case of Florida, as far as a quarterback, the teams that aren't looking anymore. Speaking of looking, that would be the NCAA oh. right now. At the commission, uh, excuse me, at the presidential, at the executive level, as Mark Emmert has decided, or perhaps it was mutually decided upon, that he will be moving on from the top spot with the governing body of collegiate athletics. And in the wake of that news, almost immediately, perhaps more so from a connect the dots perspective, You heard the name of Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, in connection with that new opening. Brent, what has been the reaction from Sankey and maybe some others as we delve into this new era of the NCAA, which, as we know, could very well involve what is essentially a blow-up and a, a, a transformation, I guess, as it's being described. I think you're hearing that from uh, a lot of different athletic directors and a lot of different officials on the record and also off the record. Sankey made it very clear that he does not want the job. And, and, and Trev, frankly, as SEC commissioner, could you argue right now that he is probably uh, more influential with the committees that he's chairing and uh, in his position that he even would be uh, if he had Emirates uh, position uh, as far as being overall with football. Yeah. The power structure right now in collegiate athletics seems to start with the commissioner of the Southeastern conference. Really uh, in terms of perception, if nothing else, I'll give you another example. A year or so ago, the PAC 12, commissioner gig comes open and there was a lot of talk about Greg Byrne based on his previous ties to the league at some different stops around the Pac-12 including the University of Arizona that perhaps Greg Byrne would be a shoe-in as the next commissioner yeah at the Pac-12 and that would make sense because he's an athletic director it would seem to be a step up right 
to go from the AD at Alabama to the commissioner of a league at the Power Five level. But that wasn't apparently the true interest of Greg Burns. So the, that's another example. If you if you want others, I'm sure they're out there as far as where the SEC sits right now oh, yeah. in the hierarchy of collegiate athletics. Well, and Trav, if you remember in the uh, – I remember particularly in the Final Four – when they would show uh, the uh, basically the first table uh, where you've got play-by-play guys and you've got TV uh, officials and so forth, well, there sits Greg Byrne uh, because Greg is like Sankey is on a lot of these influential committees anyway, uh, so they're probably in better position. And I think this is important. They're in better position sometimes to uh, uh, to, to kind of lead change by being where they are uh, instead of being uh, in a in a more lucrative position, shall we say? So no doubt, I think Sankey and Byrne probably can do more with the with the current position they've got. Yeah, it's amazing. It really is. So. We uh, get ready to advance into the month of May, and with that, we're going to see an uptick in terms of the upcoming football season and predictions, and Brent's beloved college football magazines oh, are absolutely. on the horizon. Absolutely. What's the next big What's the next big mile marker for us in this college football offseason, Brent, as we, as we look to push through here? Well, uh, the playoff committee met. Uh, this week, but nothing really came out of that except their annual meeting. Uh, Trav, I think the uh, the the mover and the shaker right now is this transformation committee that just really kind of came out of nowhere this week. I give Ross Dellinger a lot of credit for that, and, and, and we'll get into this more in, in the coming weeks. But this is a uh, a committee that really is. Uh, I, listen, college football, Travis and I have been doing this for uh, basically 30 years, and it has moved along at a glacier pace. But what we have seen in the last five years is almost a NASCAR race in terms of making changes over that time. And this transformation committee, I, I think, is very fascinating, particularly with what they're looking at. Uh, eliminating scholarship caps, abolishing the limit of coaches per team, expanding direct payments from school to athletes, reconfiguring the recruiting calendar, implementing close periods in the transfer portal. See, uh, there are a lot of those things that they're dealing with, but and I, I know this is a small part of it, but being a college baseball fan, uh, the, the thing that impressed me about this is they are i don't know this is this is a small part small part of it but this is important college baseball as far as most folks know 11.7 scholarships for a roster of 35 well they're looking at expanding tremendously uh the scholarships for baseball and travel again i know me this too. is I know this is trivial in a lot of people's mind, but but these that look in following uh, sports like baseball, 
isn't this almost earth-shaking as far as what this could do for baseball? And it's fascinating some of the things this committee is looking at improving. Yeah, non-lottery states and the programs within them, like Alabama and Auburn, would certainly, certainly be in favor of a big boost to the 11.7 that is in play right now in terms of scholarship numbers for baseball and also the limitation that is in place on staff in sports like baseball. Uh, Need to go up on those numbers as well, especially if you're looking to provide more of a level playing field, not only within leagues like the SEC, but you know, the concern with college baseball has always been, is it too regionalized? You know, is it too much about teams from the South and teams from the Southwest and the, and the uh, West. And so uh, perhaps that would help in sort of uh, bringing that to, to more of a, uh, an equal situation across the board in a sport like baseball anything else for us brent as we get out of here on a friday well we'll end on this but this is extremely important and and again uh may one is that deadline for the transfer portal in other words if wherever you want to play in 2022 you need to be set at that point and on that roster so uh trap there are going to be plenty to talk about uh, in the next couple of weeks because uh, of this. And, and again, it'd be great if all these kids could land somewhere, particularly where they want to go. But you and I both know uh, there's going to be some real uh, uh, success situations and stories here. But there are also going to be a lot of disappointed kids uh, who very well uh, will not be in school, will not be playing in 2022. Uh, far too many. Absolutely. And not just in football, but hoops as well. That's right. Enough opportunities, not enough programs, really. And uh, in too many cases, you're going to see what is essentially uh, early retirement. Yeah. uh, That's going to come about as a result result of some of these decisions. So, yeah, transfer portal will continue to rock. You've got the deadline to get into the portal. Um, You'll still have some movement throughout the summer from a roster perspective, and we're going to cover all that for you right here on Second Helping. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the Second Helping podcast, simple as a click or two. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Well, Brent, hope you have a great weekend, my man. We'll do it again real soon. Look forward to it, bud. Take care. For Brent Beard, Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for joining us here on Second Helping. Until next time, so long, everybody.